Oh, that's beautiful music. Don't you love that song? Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I better have my water. I'm not leaving. Okay, good. So, um, yes, thank you. Praise band. That was... uh, that was great music. Yeah, I know there's a sermon in here somewhere. That's what I was thinking about a week ago when I started this. Got to be a sermon in here somewhere. And then you preach on uh, Jesus calming the storm, and you have a storm all week, you know. When you preach, you always live it. And uh, that's the way the Lord works, though. He says, if you're going to preach, I'll... Uh, Here, how about this? I'll make you live it. So I'm going to be preaching from the text in Matthew, which is chapter 8. If you want to get your Bibles out, kind of get ready on that. Beginning at verse 18 through verse, and including verse 27. First, I want to say it's a, I really am honored to be here. Um, I love this church. It has a special significance for me way back when, when it wasn't even located here. Um, uh, I was not a believer at the time, and um, I'd just gone through a, um, a divorce, and it was, uh, it was a dark time of my life, and the pastor at Desert Springs invited me to church. And, um, and my wife and I, I came a few times, but what always stuck with me was the openness of the invitation that I was invited. And it made an impression upon me that later on, as I look back, was kind of part of my journey of coming to faith in Christ. So this is a special group of people to me in particular. So we're going to take a look at God's word today about Jesus calms the storm. And as I was studying this, it got to be a little bit bigger than, um, than I realized in the beginning. Because when you look at the Matthew uh, version, there's, there's some other action just a little bit before that about the, being the cost of discipleship. We're not going to talk about that much today, but I, I felt like it was important, so I'm going to bring that up as well. But when we look at God's Word in the Presbyterian Church in America, and I know in your church and in our church, we consider that this is actually God's very Word that it's God breathed, that he breathed it out, and that it is useful for training in righteousness, for reproof, for correction, so that the man and woman of God can be competent and prepared for every good work. So let's hear the reading of our scripture today. Beginning at verse 18, chapter 8, book of Matthew. Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, uh, let me first go and uh, bury my father. And Jesus said to him, 
follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each and every heart herein be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I remember standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in November of 2005. It was a bright, clear day, and it was very quiet. And I could hear the characteristic rhythms of the waves as they came ashore, sort of just lapping on the shore. And I thought of all the things that I'd seen in Israel that week, I knew where this place was. This was one place that we didn't have to worry that this was the actual location where events happened. And it might have been right there or someplace close to there where Jesus stood when he talked to the crowd. He saw that they were getting large. And he ordered his disciples, he said, go bring the boat around so we can go to the other side. I imagine that a few of his disciples scampered off to get the boat to to bring it around. A few feet away stood a couple men. One, the intellectual, steps up and promises to follow Jesus wherever He may go. But Jesus tells him the cost of that. He said, some nights you'll have nowhere to sleep. And you won't have a home. Interrupting that conversation, the other man, the equivocator, is a little more complex. Hey, Jesus, uh, if it's all right, I'm going to need to go back home and stay there until my father dies or bury my father. And Jesus kind of looked at him and uh, he says, follow me. Follow me. Nothing is more important than that you follow me. You know, maybe these two wannabes made it into the boat. We don't know. The text isn't real clear about that. But we do know that Jesus got in the boat with his disciples. 
They followed him in there. Matthew uses the miracle of Jesus calming the storm to teach us that disciples need salvation too. Yes, those disciples, these disciples, the ones in the boat with Jesus need salvation. It's not just the leper. It's not just the marginalized. It's not just the poor who need his help. Disciples, the men who would be called upon to go into the entire world and make disciples of the nations need saving. Saving every day. Three times in Matthew's gospel, he uses the Greek word seismos. That's where we get the word seismology, the study of earthquakes from that. He uses it, one, at the cross when Jesus dies. He uses it again at the resurrection when Jesus rises from the dead. And he uses it here in this story to describe the storm. Obviously, this was a big deal. That is, an important event and a violent storm. He uses this quake to teach his disciples about the kind of faith necessary to take the transforming power of the gospel into every corner of the earth. And in that way, turn the world upside down. The venerable Bede, writing in the 8th century, saw the parallel. The boat is the present church in which Christ passes over the sea of this world with his own and stills the waves of persecution. The fearful faith of even believers is the point of this story. Well, how did the disciples do? Lord, save, dine. That's how they did. Those are the three words that just blow out on, onto you. The, the last word, dine, literally means in the Greek... We are being destroyed. At least he's no longer teacher. But now he's Lord. You know, in times of distress and trouble, you need a Lord. You don't need a teacher. But somehow, somehow or another, they're not exactly the kind of brave men that would be necessary to lead the church through the world. He said, so he asked him, he says, why are you so cowardly? Why are you so cowardly? You, and he calls him a name, you little face. Little face. It's hard to say that, right? It's not face, but It's one word in the Greek. You little face. Boy. Little face, he called him. 
Little faith disciples, fearing that his lordship is subject to nature, that he doesn't care. That's why we read the the Mark passage. Don't you know, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing here. That he won't come through in the hour of trial. Jesus really isn't happy about it. You know, there's something about faith. There's something brave and daring that's wrapped up into faith. It's a form of courage. And without it is cowardice. Jesus is not impressed right here by the disciples' faith. After all, given the power that they had seen and experienced and how he had justified their confidence, had never forsaken or forgotten them, don't you think he has every right to expect something more than his disciples running to him and crying out, Lord, don't you care? Oswald Chambers put it this way, If you're a fan of his like I am, it's on August the 12th. When we are afraid, the least we can do is pray to God. But our Lord has a right to expect that those who name his name have an underlying confidence in him. God expects his children to be so confident in him that in any crisis, they are the ones who are reliable. They, we are the ones who are reliable. That's what he wants. Today, the church sails along on the waters of the world, buffeted by the, many of the storms of our time and culture. Jesus knew then and he, knew, he knows now that the journey would be no place for cowards. Instead, it would take the kind of faith that Martin Luther talked about. He said, faith is a living and daring confidence in God's grace. I want you to get that. I want you to to think about that for a minute. A living and daring confidence in God's grace. Wow! Is that good? I just become, I can step into almost anything at that point. Because I can be confident that God's grace is going to show up At some point, I may not see it immediately, but it's going to show up a living and daring confidence in God's grace. Most of the storms that we experience aren't necessarily nature storms, but they're storms of our sin nature. Thursday, I was speaking to a man about his divorce. It came up at a workout place that I go to. And I could tell he was still burdened by what should have been and what could have been. He explained that both he and his wife were Christians. They'd gone to Christian counselors. And when his wife was confronted by Ephesians 5, wives respect your husbands. You know, that's an interesting one too. You know, because if you really read that, it says husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how much do you love the church? Gave his life for it. And then it just says, hey, wives, respect your husbands. But he said when she got to that point, that was it for her. 
She was done. She was done with church. She was done with being a Christian. She was done with him. She was done with the counselors. And that's it. We still fail. We still fail sometimes to have that confidence in God's grace that it's going to show up, that it's going to be there. To trust in his spirit and his word and obey his commands. Well, okay, I've hammered on that enough. What should these disciples have done for crying out loud? I mean, think about it. Just calmly sit by and eat their tilapia sandwiches while the boat went down? At least they went to Jesus, at the very least, and cried out for his help. So is is it wrong for endangered disciples to come crying to the Lord for help? Now, we know it's not. All of you know that. You know that's not the issue. Even Calvin, in his commentary, said this. He said, this is not a blame for the disciples to, to be because they're merely afraid. It's the excessive fear that Jesus criticizes. Jesus wants his disciples to be brave, not weak and pitiable. In this instance, Jesus seems to prefer that they rest their fears on the object of their faith, who's in the boat with them, just like he's in our boat every day, The cure for fear is faith in Jesus. The cure for fear is faith in Jesus. Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And I will save you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A greater form of faith and bravery would have been to pray and wait. Pray and wait for God, saving presence in the storm. Or, here's another idea. Years ago, I was at a Christian booksellers convention, and I heard someone preach this passage, and they created an image in my mind that I've never forgotten and one that I hope one day I can embrace fully. What if the disciples had sort of flipped the fear switch, you know, just flipped it, and instead of being afraid, they took a whole different approach. Like, wow! Look at that wave. Are you ready for that, Peter? Oh, man, grab the mast. Hey, John, look around for some planks we can float on in case this thing goes down. Because guess what? Jesus said we're going to the other side. I'm not sure we're going to get there in this boat, but he said we're going. And we can trust him for that. This day could have been like that. Can you see him up there on the mast? And the, You know, they say in the Sea of Galilee, those waves can be... Measured at 25 feet, which I guess if you're a waveologist or whatever, you know that can mean 40, at, you know, because there's some sort of angle on that where the water goes down, something like that. I'm not a waveologist, so I don't know exactly that, but that could be pretty frightening. 
I mean, I get scared if they're this big when I'm out in the ocean. But what, what if, what about that? Maybe they could have taken another tactic on that. That might have been interesting. He did say, we're going to go to the other side. He did tell them that. They had a right to expect that he would deliver on that. I have an example. As a pastor, um, you, you, you run into situations sometimes you have no clue what to do, but you're at the door, okay? And you know that behind that door, this house is something that is not in the book. You know, there's no manual. And you're going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit. God's word and the Holy Spirit. There's nothing you can imagine what it could be. Because you don't know what you're going to get when you get in there. So I have this little thing where I say, I pray in the car. And then I say, okay, all right, God, cover me because I'm going in. And he does. He's never failed me yet. And I've been into stuff that is just insanity, literally. And God has covered me. Think about that. Next time you're confronted with something like that, because you are all ministers, you're going to get in situations. And before you go and say, God, cover me, I'm going in. I'm just going to be faithful and step out in it and, and go there. So when we really look at how Jesus responds to our faith, we see there's much grace that he's lavished upon us, a lot of it. In our own lives, you know, that can mean simply walking into our room, lying down, saying a little prayer, resting in Jesus, and going to sleep. Sleep with confidence in him would probably please him a lot more than prayer with fear. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. To quote John Piper. It may mean doing something completely counterintuitive. It may mean that you walk back in the room of that child that you just spanked wrongly and ask for forgiveness. Trusting that the Lord will calm that storm. Or it may be like my friend Dale's experience. Dale's a kid from Arizona that arrived in, at Washington University in St. Louis for his freshman year along with me. We're the only two from Arizona that we knew there. So we ended up pledging the same fraternity. and So we saw a lot of each other. And then he got an automobile accident, and, I mean a motorcycle accident, and um, ended up uh, having losing his scholarship, coming back to Arizona, and his world fell apart. But for the last um, about 27 years, he's been clean and sober. And um, God has made it possible for him to reconnect with his own children that he thought he'd lost years ago. He's a believer. He's fun to be around. He drives a cab and has all his plumbing stuff in the back. But Dale um, told me the other day that he'd gotten a phone call from, from his son. His son said, Dad, there's something you need to know. I've decided to ask Jane 
to marry me. His son and Jane, they'd been living together. He said, and I thought it would only be right to do it the old-fashioned way. I was going to go and uh, I would ask her father for her hand in marriage. And I decided that I would confess my sins against his daughter to him. And Dale said, he said, oh, no, no, don't do that. You're going to get shot. And then his son, and then Dale said, well, what, what, what did he say? And his son said, well, Dad, he took my hand and he looked me in the eye. And he said, you know, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Dad, he led me to faith in Jesus Christ. He explained the gospel to me. I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I know I'm forgiven. Jane and I are now engaged. We've taken vows of purity. A year later, they got married. There was a brave and courageous man, confidently trusting in God's grace, I don't know if that happened to my daughter. I would hope I would have that kind of grace. That's brave. I once ran into a perfect storm myself. I've been a coward. I've been a little faith. I was in Colorado Springs. It's about 20 years ago. Things weren't going well in, in the bookstore. Bills were due that I couldn't pay. There weren't enough hours for me to get a third job. I felt the waves swamping me, and I was overcome. I lay in bed, unable to get up, frozen with fear. Somehow I managed to get my hand over to the telephone and dial home and got my wife on the phone. And bless her heart, she reminded me of Paul's Advice to his disciple, Timothy. Remember, he said, we don't serve a God of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This word spread over me like the peace that surpasses all understanding. How I needed his word. I had enough for the day. And rose. The overwhelming point is that even when our faith is fearful, Jesus hears our cry, gets up and rebukes the wind and the sea and creates calm. He doesn't say, come back when you have a little more faith. He doesn't say that. He takes us just as we are. Hardly any faith at all. And helps us as we come to him. Just come. Come and dare something with God by getting on the boat of mission. And experience the Lord's power. My grace is sufficient for you, Jesus says. For in your weakness, my power is made perfect. Come and live the life of faith. Come. 
Come and live a life of faith that's a living and daring confidence in God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercies that are new and fresh each and every morning. And we thank you that no matter how weak our faith is, even as small as that little mustard seed, that that's more than enough for you. We thank you that you're so good to us. Help us to be more confident, to be braver in our faith, and to step out trusting you, confident that your grace will be sufficient for the hour and the day and the years now and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.